Praise the Lord. Turn around. If you can see a seat and you're not sitting in one, let's sit down. <laughs> Praise the Lord. It's good to be here today. Amen. It's good to see everyone that is here. You love the Lord this morning? Amen. And just a reminder that today is school holidays, which means there's no Sunday school. So that means all the kids are going to be staying in here with us today. And we are going to start a new series. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of Timothy. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then you have the T's, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and then Timothy. 1 Timothy is where we're going. Praise the Lord. First Timothy chapter four. Say amen when you're there. First Timothy chapter four and verse twelve. And it says this let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word in conversation, which is another word for lifestyle, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. And so we're going to begin a new series this morning. And the title of this series is called Being Faithful to the Truth. Amen. Being Faithful to the Truth. And so the next four weeks we're going to talk about what that actually means. And, and today what we want to talk about as we open up this series is I want to talk about serving in faith. If you are going to be faithful to the truth, to be faithful simply means to be full of faith. Amen. And so to be faithful to the truth, we have to serve in faith. Amen. And so we're going to explore what that means today. And the scripture that we read um, was from 1 Timothy. Now, Timothy was a letter that was written to 1 Timothy. Sorry, it was a letter that was written to a young man by the name of Timothy. Um, and Timothy lived in the first century AD. He was a single man. He was a young man. And he pastored in the city of Ephesus. The Bible tells us that his mother was a devout Jew, but the scripture is silent on the faith of his father. His father was a Greek, so his mother was Jew, his father was Greek, but the Bible doesn't tell anything too much about his father other than he was Greek. In fact, um, most people believe, most scholars believe that the Apostle Paul, um, in the absence of Timothy having a godly father figure, stepped into that breach and became a spiritual father to Timothy. Paul called Timothy my own son in the faith in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2. Now Paul first met Timothy in the city of Lystra. It was a city in Asia Minor and this young man was well known and well regarded by the believers that were there. And Paul recruited Timothy to join him on his missionary journeys all over Asia Minor. And we read about this in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 13 through to 18. And before Timothy began pastoring in Ephesus, Paul already knew his character 
and his faith. And he knew that Timothy would face challenges in the, churches of, the church at Ephesus, particularly in the area of false doctrine. Okay, We're setting the scene here for the lessons that we're going to be doing. We're talking about Timothy. Paul wrote the letter, 1 Timothy, that's what we call it now, 1 Timothy, around 63 AD, and the purpose of the letter was to encourage and to equip Timothy to lead the Ephesian church with wisdom and confidence. And Paul told Timothy, he said, you need to act with firmness to command and teach. That's 1 Timothy 4.11. But then immediately he followed those words with, let no man despise your youth. And that's an interesting possibility, isn't it? How do you stop a man despising you? Because really you don't have any control over how they act towards you, do you? You can't help it, right? But Paul kind of gives us the answer. How can one man keep from despising him? Timothy had to be a godly example. If he lived out the truth that he preached, not just saying the right thing, but doing the right thing, his love, his spirit, his faith, his purity, would ensure that the church members, including the older church members who might have had some problems with him, amen, would have no basis for faulting him, amen. Secondly, Paul advised Timothy to develop a team of elders who could help with teaching and deacons to help support the work of the ministry. So Paul's letter to Timothy was kind of like, and still today, is sort of a how-to-pastor instruction manual for people who want to pastor, amen, and it's still applicable today. It addresses conduct in worship gatherings, church doctrines, leadership, administration, church discipline, however, and, and all of this stuff, right, to help Timothy be a pastor. But the greatest part of Paul's letter is his personal encouragement to his son in the faith. And his advice to Timothy offered insight to believers about the importance of standing firm in the faith and in the doctrines of the church and also in persevering in trials and challenges. Now, don't get scared about that word doctrine. A lot of people, when you hear pastors say the doctrine of the church, it sounds very sort of dogmatic, doesn't it? But doctrine just means teaching. Sorry, just making up myself some room here so I can swing a cat. Praise the Lord. Doctrine just means teaching. And so Paul's letter to Timothy is good because we can use it to apply to our lives as believers on how we should live our life. Amen. See, a person's station or situation in life is never an excuse to be an unfaithful witness or to shy away from any potential call to serve in ministry capacity. Amen. We always enter in thinking, well, I don't think I could do that. I'm not qualified to do that. I'm not able to do that. But Paul personally trained Timothy. He invested a lot of time in Timothy before he ever got to pastor. Amen. And because Paul had spent so much time with Timothy, he knew his spirit. He knew his faith, but he also knew his insecurities. He knew where Timothy was weak. And Paul had absolute confidence that Timothy was a man of sincere faith, but he wrote to remind the younger man that God had called him and that Paul himself had prayed for him when he received the Holy Spirit and that the spirit, this is important, the spirit that Timothy had was not of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That scripture comes from Timothy. It's from the book in Timothy, amen? You know, in, in other words... Timothy, Paul, Paul is saying, Timothy, here's the baton. You're a younger man. Here it is. I want you to run with it. I want you to go. I want you to make a difference in the world because Paul knew I'm not going to be here forever. 
Timothy was going to outlast him. Amen. So Timothy was young. This was Timothy's hang-up, right? Excuse me. Can I grab a bottle of water, please? Thank you. Timothy was young and perhaps timid in his dealings with people, but Paul advised his son in the faith not to allow others to think less of his calling because of his youth. Like Timothy, people in church, perhaps even this church, as a matter of fact, I know people in this church, people in this church can be strong in one area of their faith like Timothy was, but perhaps not as strong or insecure or weak in other areas of their faith, amen? But we have to remember what Paul told us. Paul said, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of sound mind. Brothers and sisters, we should not be timid with the faith that God has given us. We have power in us and the love of God in us to work through us so we can be confident in the ways that God is directing our life. We can be confident in the purpose and the plan that God has for our life. Amen. We never need to fear because we know God is working through us to accomplish His will for our life. Amen. And see, this, the, the problem with not doing that is we start to put hindrances up for God when God wants to use us. We think, well, I'm not really qualified to do that. It's, I'm weak in that area. I can't, I can't do that. I'm not good enough. And, and, and that's not the right thinking. Amen. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. It's important, however, <clears throat> to keep a balance of humility and boldness as we serve the Lord. We cannot undervalue the call of God in our life. God has called us. God has called you. I believe every single believer has a place of ministry and can make a difference in the lives of people. Amen. Well, I'm the only one who believes that. Do you believe that this morning? Amen? Amen. You're all falling asleep on me. It's important to not undervalue the call of God in our lives, but it's important also not to undermine it by our conduct. Amen? Jesus said this. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's John 15, 5. And Matthew 19, 26 says, with God, all things are possible. Notice the thing. It's coupled with God. Amen. Paul said that on his own, he was unable to do good. But with Christ in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. The key to keeping balance between humility and boldness is knowing that when you are filled with God, when you walk with God, and when you abide in God, you are empowered by God. Amen. And I really think the key to understanding this is that we are not a part from the church. We are a part of the church. You get that? Too often we try and be a part. I've got this ministry and I want to do this and, you know, God's called me, etc. But I'm a part from the church. We can't be a part. We have to be a part of it together, joined. Amen? We have to unite with God as well. Right? For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Right? But it's not about us. It's about God. And so this is how we maintain that balance between us, understanding that our confidence needs to be in the Lord. As we live our life for God, as we walk down the path that God is leading us on, as we follow the purpose and the plan that Jesus has individually for our life, we have to understand that we need to have confidence that God is with us. Amen. And our confidence is in Him, not in our own abilities. And when we do that, we can operate with God-authorized, humility-empowered boldness. 
we have to, as a church and as individual believers, we have to be Christ-sufficient and not self-sufficient. Amen. We have to be like a fruitful vine that's productive, content, but connected to Jesus. That's what Jesus said, abide in me. Amen. We cannot be separated from God. And see, Paul's advice... Paul's advice to Timothy applies to every New Testament believer because, as I said before, every Christian has a call. Every Christian has a ministry. And the Bible lays this out for us, amen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18, it says that every Christian is called to be an ambassador and a minister of reconciliation, amen. This includes every single member of the church without exception, amen. We are called to be ministers of reconciliation, amen. Now, we know that not everybody is called to pastor, not everybody is called to sing, not everyone is called to play a musical instrument, amen, but we are all called to be a minister of reconciliation to the world, amen, and how we live our lives, our conduct, hallelujah, makes known to others what we truly believe. You understand what I mean by that? Think about it like this. I'm trying to think of a good example. Okay, I'll use my classic one. This will work. Imagine I told you the roof was going to fall in, in 30 seconds. And you looked me in the eyes, oh, pastor, I believe you. With all of my heart, I believe you. But you don't do anything about it. You don't get up and move out the door. You don't grab your children and run out. Your conduct is showing me you don't really believe me. You're saying it, but you don't really believe me. Amen. So too in our life when we say we have a ministry of reconciliation, we are here to reach the world. We are here to help people meet Jesus, to be reconciled to God is what 2 Corinthians tells us. Amen. When our conduct does not line up with what we are saying, people won't believe our testimony because it's not. We are not acting like we believe it. Amen. Does that make sense this morning? Amen. The way we pattern our days and our behavior reveal our faith in God. You see, we don't teach others by the things that we say. We teach others by the things that we do. Amen? You could tell your children as much as you like, make sure you shut the fridge door when you go get a snack. But if mom and dad never shut the fridge door when they go get a snack, it's going to happen. They're just going to copy you. Amen? Now, that's quite a funny, silly kind of example. But think a bit deeper about that, right? Our children follow what we do. They see our life. They see our behavior. And that's how they end up growing up. Amen? It's the same, too, with our walk with God. As we are ministers of reconciliation, as we are reaching for people that are hungry, how we act our life has an impact on them. Because we say, oh, you've got to live for Jesus. It's the best life. You've got to be in church. It's amazing. God's got a purpose and a plan for you. But your behavior doesn't line up with that. They're not going to believe your words. They're going to believe your conduct. Amen. This is why Paul wrote to Timothy, be an example in faith, in love, in purity, in doctrine. Amen. We have to provide a faithful pattern. Think about this. Another drink of water. I'm really scratchy today. Think about this. Imagine, imagine a mother gave a piece of paper and some crayons to her daughter, who was like maybe, I don't know, let's get 10 years old, and says, hey, I want you to draw a picture of your sister's dress. 
most 10 years olds, 10 year olds could probably come up with a reasonable approximation of address, right? But then if you turned around and said, well, I want to use that as a pattern to sew a new skirt for you. That's a whole other ball game, isn't it? Right? You can't use a crayon drawing for a dress pattern on a sewing machine. No, it's got to be precise. You've got to have the right lines and the right measurements. And there's technical aspects that a 10-year-old is not going to get. Amen? And if you did make a dress from a crayon drawing, I can promise you it probably wouldn't fit. And it probably wouldn't look very good. Amen? Right? And <clears throat> the same thing is for us. God's Word gives us a pattern to live our lives. But by our conduct, when we are copying that pattern just with crayons, other people look at that and they can't copy that pattern. They can't use that pattern to change their life. Amen? And this is Bible because Paul said, imitate me as I follow Christ. Amen? We are to get the pattern of God's Word and live it out in our life to the exacting detail that we can, empowered by the Holy Spirit, because that's what the Holy Spirit enables us to do. We don't do that because we want to be special or because we're anyone good or because we are worthy, but we do it because we want to present a pattern to the world so they can copy that pattern, so they can see, okay, this is how to live a Christian life. This is how to be victorious. This is how to live your life surrendered to God's purpose and to God's plan, amen? And to the extent that our life does not measure up to that pattern, it makes it more difficult for people to come to God through our witness, Amen? Is this making sense so far? If we offer a dependable pattern, we should expect a transformation process to be successful. If we, alter a faulty, if we offer a faulty pattern, the world around us will not see it and they will not be able to reproduce an authentic Christian life. Amen? Amen. We'll talk more about this in a bit. In our text, Paul wrote, he said you need to be an example in lifestyle, in manner of life, in conduct, in behavior. Simply put, excuse me, the world needs to see a faithful witness. Our lives should bring glory to God, not reproach, and certainly not a cause for dif disbelief. You know, author, he's quite old now, but author by the name of Brennan, Brennan Manning, he said, quote, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. Wow. That's big, isn't it? For unbelievers to believe, they must see the gospel lived out because unbelievers don't often come to church. They're out there right? They're watching our lives. They're observing our life and our behavior and seeing how we react and how we act under pressure and what's going on, what pattern is on display. Because that is what makes the difference in people's lives, amen? Their conduct, our conduct affects so many people, amen? Whether or not we hold a position in the church or not, we are all called to a ministry of reconciliation. It's God's assignment for each of us, to find those who do not know the Lord and give them the good news that they can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. But the most effective way we do that is by living a life that lines up with God's Word. Amen. 
Paul taught Timothy the importance of being consistent with the lines and the designs in the Word of God and the way that words are used. Believers have to be faithful to the Word as it pertains to salvation and Christian living and the way we use the gift of language. We have to be consistent. Our conversations, our lifestyles should display God's love, a good disposition, faith, purity. We have to be faithful. Now, of course, you're sitting there thinking, Pastor, that sounds like you're saying I need to be perfect. Of course not. We're all humans. We make mistakes, right? Put your hands up if you've ever made a mistake. Today. (laughs) You know what I mean? We make mistakes. We're faulty. We're inhuman. We're going to do it, amen? And, And when our words and our conduct have not aligned with God, maybe we've gotten up grouchy or angry or we've you know, struck out when we shouldn't have, or, you know, we're out there trying to put forward a good pattern, and, you know, we're drawing carefully, and then all of a sudden, we step on the cat when we get out of bed, and off we go, because we're screaming at the cat, and the kids will let the cat into the house. Hello? None of y'all do that. You're all too holy and sanctified. I know that. Amen? You know, we've got to make the alterations, though. We can't just let it go and go, okay, yeah, that's fine. I'll be better tomorrow. No. We've got to go back and correct the pattern. Amen. We've got to go back and make it right. Amen. When we slip into carnal mode, if I could put it like that, in public, we need to be just as public about making our correction. Because if we do not, the world will not see a true pattern. As a matter of fact, what they see is a pattern to be a hypocrite. If we don't go back and correct the mistakes we make, the areas that we fall and we fail in, we have to go back and make it right. We have to correct it, amen, because we have to maintain the pattern. When we fail, we have a bad attitude. When we speak unkindly or act selfishly, we have to confess it and we have to make things right, amen. I think the truth of the matter is, is we ought to admit to ourselves that we are still works in progress. But we ought not to be ashamed to admit to others that we are works in progress, amen. That we make mistakes, that we do let God and others down, amen. But the important thing as a believer is that we maintain the pattern. So we go back and we correct it. We say, okay, no, I messed that up. This is why keeping that balance between humble and boldness is so important. Because it takes humility to go back and say, you know what? That, what I said, what I did, was in line with God's word. I need to apologize. God's still working on me, and I've still got some things he's still fixing up. Will you forgive me? That takes a lot of humility. Go to your work colleague and say that. Go to your kids and say that. It's a lot of humility to do that, amen? But yet that's what God calls us to do. Why? Because we are focused on the bigger purpose. We are called to be ministers of reconciliation. Amen. And as long as we lives, our lives are not lined up to that pattern, we can't do that effectively. Amen. And so these are the areas that we have to work on. Amen. To live a faithful life. Amen. And the thing is, when you do fail and when you do make a mistake, but then you do make it right, people see the pattern of a true Christian. Right? Because a true Christian is not someone who gets everything right 100% of the time. A true Christian is someone who knows, you know what, I'm not perfect and I messed up, but I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to rub that line out on my pattern. I'm going to redraw that line and make it straight again. 
right? And people look at that and they see the rub outs and they see where you're trying to get things right and you're trying to do it correctly and you're trying to live your life in accordance to God's word and people then see the pattern for a true Christian. Because the biggest problem that people have with Christianity, let's be honest, is they all think that we're too good. We're all perfect. I remember once I used to work with a young lady. Her name was Simone. This was many years ago. I can't even remember a lot. No, it was Mullen. Her last name was Mullen. There you go. I used to work with a girl by the name of Simone. And she told me, she said, Oh, Jason, I could never go to church. Because the moment I stepped through the door, God would strike me dead. Now, that's quite sad, isn't it? But where do you think that idea came from? It's not from God. It's not from God. It's when she walks in and she sees Christians living absolutely perfect lives with no problems. We're so flawless. We don't do anything wrong. Amen? What we need to be is authentic. We need to own up when we make a mistake. We need to fess up and repent of our sins when we do let God down because we are going to. Amen. And we need to make it right with people. When we hurt people, when we say the wrong thing, when we do the wrong thing, when we act the wrong way, we must make it right. So we correct the pattern, but people can see you've corrected the pattern. People around you in work see you're just a work in progress. Your family knows I'm just a work in progress. God is still working on me. Amen. We have to live authentic Christian lives. Amen. When we do that, we show the world a real person who falls but gets back up again. Amen. Every member, someone say every member. Every member of the family of God has a responsibility to be an example of godliness in his or her sphere of influence. Say, I have a responsibility. Okay, that was more like... Everyone say, I have a responsibility. That's right. When we effectively communicate the gospel in ways that people want to ask questions and learn about God rather than running in the opposite direction, we will be more effective as soul winners. We will be more effective as people who are in the ministry of reconciliation. Amen. And if we are effective, our sphere of influence will grow amen when we are faithful god grows the gifts that are in us amen paul told timothy he said neglect not the gift that is in you which was given you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery meditate upon these things give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all amen paul was speaking to timothy here about a specific ministry gift but the principle applies to the family of god at large and every spiritual gift we have to properly care and properly cultivate the gifts that god has given to us and then think about how we can use them to bless the church and think about how we can use them to advance the kingdom and think about how we can use them to be part of the ministry of reconciliation that god has given us amen now think about it timothy probably felt like he had a legitimate excuse to forsake his call to ministry and leadership. He wasn't the first with an excuse and he won't be the last. Even in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah thought he was too young, but the Lord corrected him. The New Living Translation, it says this, O sovereign Lord, I said I can't speak for you. I'm too young. 
The Lord replied, don't say I'm too young, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you, amen. Jeremiah thought he had an excuse. Moses had an excuse. Moses had lots of excuses. Moses felt he wasn't good enough. But God said, I'm going to be with you. Moses was then afraid, oh, everyone's going to reject me. But God demonstrated that he would display the miraculous if Moses would just obey him. Moses said, I stammer. I'm inadequate in my speech. But God answered that argument by giving him Aaron to be a spokesman. Amen. God answered all of Moses' concerns and proved that he was chosen, qualified, and equipped to lead God's people. Amen. We don't have an excuse. Daniel, Daniel's probably closer to us than anybody else out of those two examples. Daniel lived in a pagan culture, and yet he lived a life that was beyond reproach. He maintained a vibrant faith, a living faith, even while he lived and worked in an idolatrous nation. In fact, God promoted him to be the prime minister of the Babylonian Empire. He had a position of authority and even superiority over people who did not share his faith. If anybody had an excuse just to blend in and fit in with the crowd, to not ruffle the feathers, Daniel would have. Amen. He could have used it as a reasonable excuse to just sort of absorb into the culture around him and fit in just like a good prime minister. Amen. But he refused to compromise his faith. The culture did not change Daniel. Daniel impacted the culture around him and God was glorified amen we have to live out the correct pattern we call to a ministry of reconciliation we don't have an excuse to be able to say no 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 I'm not good enough I'm not worthy I'm not special enough I'm too young I'm too old I can't make a difference yes you can because we are all called to the ministry we can all live our life in accordance with God's word to the pattern that he has laid down for us the truth of the matter is Daniel went to the lion's den, didn't he? And like Daniel, our faith in our post-Christian society can be challenged. It can be ridiculed. Maybe even one day we'll be threatened. But our godly character can and should shine a bright light for Jesus in the dark world. I want to read your story here. It's in the Gospel of Luke. parable that Jesus told and I think there's a principle here that perhaps we might have missed in our reading of this before Luke chapter 14 we'll read from verse 16 say amen when you're there Luke chapter 14 verse 16 says then said he unto him a certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they with one consent began to make excuse. The first said to him, I've bought a piece of ground and I must needs go see it. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. 
So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servants, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in hither the blind, sorry, the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of the men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Amen. The story that Jesus is telling here reveals an important principle. Responsibility does not allow for excuses. Imagine listening to this parable and hearing those last words. None of the men invited would taste the supper. And the excuses that were made for skipping that banquet, they were pretty poor at best. I mean, who would buy property without even looking at it first? You know, in our day and age, we can look at it online at least. But imagine not even going to look, just, yeah, I'll buy that piece of property. Not even going to look at it. You know, who would, who, who would buy oxen without testing them first to make sure that they were well behaved? You know, being newly married might be distracting, but it's not crippling, amen? But the truth of the matter is, is the answer of those three people who were invited to the, ba- the, the mental blank. I was going to say balcony. What's not a balcony? It's a banquet. There's the word I want. The people invited to the banquet, what it revealed was not that they were busy. It revealed their lack of desire for God's kingdom. And they were using everything else as an excuse because the kingdom was down on the priority list. The parable teaches about salvation, but it also refers to a servant who was sent into the fields to persuade people to come to communion with the Lord. That's your job. That's my job. That's what the church does. Amen. And there are people out there who don't have the desire to live for God, and they'll miss out. But there are people out there who are hungry. And it is our job to live our lives in such a way that they see the pattern of God's Word. They see a victorious Christian life, one that's not perfect, one where we can make mistakes, but one where we are endeavoring to live our life according to the pattern of God's Word. That's what it means, amen. And God has given us a ministry of reconciliation. And we have to be faithful to it. Just like Paul encouraged Timothy, we have to be faithful to the call of God on our life. Amen. To make a difference. Praise you, Jesus. Why don't we all stand this morning? Her name was Bobby and his name was Kenneth. No relation to Brother Kenneth. But they received the Holy Spirit in 1959 in Oil City in Louisiana. They got married and together they attended Texas Bible College where they were the oldest full-time students. After Bible College, they felt like they were called to the mission field, specifically Ethiopia. And so they went. And as they went, there was plenty of reasons for them to have excuses. They had four children to care for. They had bills to pay. But they went and they served. And when they got there, they started working with the leper colonies that were in Ethiopia at the time. And Sister Bobby Wendell testified how she would struggle to connect with those lepers. She was, in her words, repulsed by them. 
The smell of death was in the air wherever they were. Fingers dropping off, noses disappeared, no toes, people who can't walk because their foot has fallen off because it's just rotted away. And yet she knew that God had sent her to minister to these people. And she was afraid to touch them. And it wasn't until she said that God broke her and she realized, I am called to these people and I have a ministry of reconciliation and I have to be faithful to this, that she was able to overcome her paralyzing fear. She worked in that land for many, many years. And shortly after that experience with the Lord, the first of those lepers were baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit and revival went through the land. Just a few years later after that, her husband passed away. And she was presented with another excuse. Well, now I've got a reasonable excuse. My husband's passed away. I can go back home to the States. You know, I've done my bit. But no, she stayed because she was faithful to the calling that God had given her. We might not have to minister to people like that in our lives. But every day we come in contact with people who are hurting, people who are hungry. Amen. Sometimes they are in our workplaces. Sometimes they are in our schools. Sometimes they're in our shopping centers, but sometimes they're in our homes. People who are hungry, people who are hurting. And we have to live our life according to the pattern of God's word. We have to be faithful to the ministry that God has called us to. Every day of the week, it's not as important what happens in here as what happens out there. What we do with our lives out there is important because it's out there that we make a difference in people's lives. Our mission field, our leper colony, if you will, is out there. That's where we make a difference. And we make a difference by being faithful to our calling. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's just close our eyes. Let's lift our hands. Hallelujah. Jesus, we worship you, O God. You have challenged us today, Lord. I've felt it in my spirit, Lord God. There's a lot of things that go on, Lord Jesus, in homes and schools and workplaces, Lord, where perhaps we haven't been fulfilling the pattern that you have laid out for us in God's word, Lord. Father, we are sorry, Lord Jesus. We want to live our life according to your pattern, Lord, because we recognize that you have called us to make a difference in the lives of people around us, Lord God. We repent, Lord Jesus. Lord, for angry outbursts, Lord, for pride, Lord God, for times where we've been angry without a cause, Lord Jesus, for times when we've been harsh and we shouldn't have been, Lord God. Lord, when we haven't operated in love and in grace and in mercy and kindness, Lord God, where the fruit of the Spirit are buried and gone, Lord Jesus, Lord, we recognize that we're not perfect, Lord God, but Lord, we come to you and Lord, we ask that you help us, Lord. Help us to make things right in our life, Lord God. Help us to follow the pattern that you have laid down in our life, Lord Jesus. Because God, you have called us and we must, we must, we must be faithful to the calling that you have laid upon our hearts, Lord. God, continue to work in our heart this day, Lord, through the worship, through the preaching of your word, Lord God. Lord, as we learn to become faithful, Lord God. We love you, we thank you in the name of Jesus. And everybody says, Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Praise the Lord. Well, God bless you. Let's... um